Hey, welcome back to the City Rev Life podcast. My name is Roby. This is Rebecca, and we are in a series on having healthy marriage conflict. And if you are new to this series, here's what we're talking about. In marriage, conflict is going to come up, and a lot of times our reflex is, oh no, something has gone wrong. Mm. And we really want to reframe our thinking on that because usually God is using that conflict because he wants to heal something in us or in our relationship. And so instead of saying, how do I avoid all conflict in marriage? What we want to ask is how can we build the skills and the tools to navigate that conflict in a healthy way? So Rebecca, why don't you share specifically, what are we focusing on today? Yep. So we're going to look today at specifically two ways that we can use our words to breathe life into our communication, into our marriage, and even into the context of conflict. There's so many aspects of communication, including our nonverbals, our tone, things like that. But specifically, we're going to look at our words and how God has designed our words to bring healing and health, um, even in the context of conflict. Yep. And so uh, our hope is that at the end of this episode, you will be equipped with these two ways um, to, just as Rebecca Mm -hmm. said, breathe life into your marriage. And so before we talk about those two dimensions of of verbal communication, let's just talk about the power of words. And I think it's important to stop on that because I think we are intentional with our words in a lot of relationships, but I think sometimes we let our guard down when it comes to our marriage because we're so comfortable with each other. We're doing life with each other Mm -hmm. that we might be very intentional with our words, with our boss, with our coworkers, the people we lead, maybe friends, maybe our, our kids, teachers, or whoever it is we're coming across. We're very intentional with words. And sometimes we just get a little apathetic with mm-hmm. the words that we're breathing into our marriages. But here's what the scripture says. This is Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. In other words, those who use words, which is all of us, mm-hmm. we all use communication. Those who use words are either going to reap the fruit mm. of life or, or the fruit of death. And so we don't, we can't really afford right. in marriage to be apathetic or just not intentional to the words we're sowing into our marriage. And we want to be intentional to use words that are going to reap fruit of life in our marriage. Right. It's that scripture speaks so clearly to this principle. And this, it's a biblical principle that our words can bring redemption. It can bring restoration. It can bring forgiveness, all things that we need in all relationships and especially our marriages. And it also is a vehicle which we communicate things like empathy and validation, Mm. which is something we've talked a lot about in this series. And those are the healing things that we want to wrap around all of our conversations, specifically in our marriages. Yeah. And and a lot of us come into marriage where maybe there's words from our past Mm. that are, have brought hurt and death, so to speak, into our life. Well, God has put us with someone that we can then use our words to bring the life mm. back and redeem those things and bring life into that. And and it could be, there's a lot of layers to conflict, but it could be this small thing might change the course in your marriage and in whatever it is that you're walking through. It can start to change the course today. So let's jump into those two things. The first one we want to talk about is more conceptual. It's understanding the basic fundamentals of really all communication, like no matter what it is, the fundamentals of all verbal communication in all and in, in every sphere, it comes down to this. It's not about what I'm saying. It's about what you're hearing. Mm. 
it's not about what I'm saying. It's about what you're hearing. So for example, let's walk through this. Let's take it out of marriage for a second. Okay. Um, let's, let's walk through this. Let's say that you are a salesperson and you go to make a sales pitch and you're thinking very clearly about your words. You're going to go meet with a vendor. You want them to use your product. And so when you go there, you sit in front of the person you're making the sale to, and you have a couple things you want them to know about your product or your company. So they start using your product and not your competitors. And if you say, hey, I want them to know that we have the best customer service. And if you walk out of that office after you've given your sales pitch and they think that you have the worst customer service or they think that the benefit is that your product's better or whatever it is, they, they, if they don't get the message, whose fault is it? Mm. You don't walk out and say, how dare you vendor? Didn't you hear what I said? I, I said this, this, and this. How come you didn't understand what I'm saying? No, you walk out and say, okay, I need to fix my sales pitch mm. to make sure it's better next time. It's the same with maybe you think about uh, as a leader, if you have your team, um, the best way to approach your team with communication is uh, I need to get a few things across. And the best way to communicate that is to take ownership it's I've got to make sure I've got to take ownership of what they hear. It's on me to figure out how can I communicate this information in a way that they walk away understanding. Mm -hmm. It's not about my content. It's about what they're hearing. It's not about what I'm saying. It's about what they're hearing. It's the same with a public speaker. If a public speaker gets up and, and he or she is communicating and the crowd walks away not understanding, you don't blame the whole crowd you walk away saying, okay, how can I say that differently next time mm -hmm. so that I can adjust the content? So, because it's not about what I'm saying, mm -hmm. it's about what they're hearing. We can see that dynamic in other spheres, that fundamental dynamic of communication. It's on, it's the responsibility of the communicator for the hearer to walk away with the right understanding. That is just fundamental to, to verbal communication. And so if we, if we know that in other spheres, we want to then take that into our interpersonal relationships. And particularly, we want to take that into our marriages. Because mm -hmm. a lot of times, we will try to communicate something, the person will misunderstand, and we blame the person. Mm -hmm. And we go back to our content and say, yeah, but I said this, this, and this. Um, and, and instead, take ownership of, okay... It's my job as the communicator to make sure as best as I can that you walk away um, hearing what I'm trying to communicate. And, and a lot of times there are certain barriers that we need to be aware of right. that, that make that misfire happen. Right. Absolutely. And I think it's important to know that it's not just if those when those misfires happen, not if, when they happen, it's mm -hmm. not just oh, the person who was bringing the communication, it's all their fault, you know, because they heard it wrong. And, you know, but the point is to really take ownership and dissect the process um, from both angles. And so kind of looking at it from a, a backseat perspective for a second and recapping what's happening in the brain mm -hmm. um, might help us understand, okay, we, where are those misfires happening? In previous episodes, episodes, we've talked about the work of the brain and what's happening. We've talked about this prefrontal cortex, um, which we call the frontal lobe, which is where um, right behind your, your um, forehead. And that's a big part of your brain that's developing and uh, responsible for a lot of good judgment making. Our amygdala, which I call our stress center, is just a, like a reflex. You're born with it and it's designed to work instantly um, the day that you're born and it's developing, but it's responsible for sending those signals that say, hey, something's not right here. Um, and it's, it's your fear or your stress center. So 
two important things to learn, or three, I should say, about these different parts of your brain is the stress center. One thing is that it's unconscious. It happens mm without us even really trying to. Um, the second thing is it's responsible. Main of its, one of its main purposes is to detect fear. Um, with that, however, it has no reality principle whatsoever. So those three things for your stress center, unconscious, it detects fear, but it has no reality principle. On the opposite, of, with your frontal lobe, it d is the conscious part of your brain. This is where you do make the choice to do something. You make good judgment. Um, you also have the ability to disarm fear in this part of your brain. So it does have the ability to say, all right, amygdala, you need a, or stress center, you need to calm down a little bit. This isn't as scary as you're making it out to be. Which is what the, talk about the reality principle. What, what specifically, speak about that a little bit. Right, so the frontal lobe is responsible for analysis. It's responsible for taking all of the intel that your your stress center is sending, sending you, as well as taking inventory of your surroundings and being able to say, oh, this really isn't as scary as we thought. Like if there was that stick in that, the proverbial stick in the road we talked about in another episode, as you run closer to it, oh, it's not, a, um, it's not a snake, it's actually a stick. And being able to calm yourself down and say, it's really not as big of a threat as your stress center was making it out to be. Right, which is why we can have irrational fears Correct. because that's the stress center, um, which is not really the one that's assessing reality. Correct. It's just the one that's sending those signals, those reactionary signals. Right. So when you're listening in the context of your marriage, in conflict, mm. depending on where you are in your brain will strongly impact the way you hear that information, right? Mm. So someone could be giving a great frontal lobe argument, but if your spouse is in the stress center of their brain, it is not going to make a dent mm -hmm. because the analysis, the reality principle part of their brain is not checked on. Yeah. Right. So it's important then if a communicator on in any sphere hones the craft of learning the audience and learning how to communicate to that audience in a way that they would hear. Again, I think about a public speaker. If a public speaker is used to speaking to adults and is then put in a space where they're speaking to kids, that happens to me sometimes. You know, mm. I'm used to preaching to adults and then I get asked to do to to speak to children, and it's like I gotta. That's hard for me to make, to make that shift. But uh, what I want to be is a communicator that is skilled to adjusting in a way that the kid that uh, the children can understand vice versa um, if you're speaking to kids adjusting to a way that adults will hear well that's the skill of a communicator what we want to be is skilled in communicating in our marriage which means it's not just about the content right. it's about learning my spouse and learning how to communicate in a way that they're going to hear and what i'm hearing you say is that a lot of times we can say things or circumstances can say things that may get our spouse operating from a, in a reactionary mode right. in the stress center. Yes. And so then it really doesn't matter what I'm saying because there's a, or what you're saying, because the reality principle, they're not operating from that analysis yeah. place. They're operating maybe out of a, uh, to as pr protect themselves exactly. or to find safety. Right. That's exactly what you're saying. The stress center is designed to set alarms off and go into self-preservation mode. And so when that 
comes out in our conflict, it comes out but with things like this. You didn't have to say it like that. Or you know this is something I'm sensitive about. Some of those uh, statements are that self-preservation. That's when you are cues that you know that your spouse is speaking from the stress center part of their brain and not able to actually hear and analyze what you're saying. Yeah. And probably one of those um, reasons why um, as a com- as the conflict gets more and more heated, mm-hmm. people start to say things that they don't fully mean and really regret. Exactly. And so that's probably a good time to take a time out. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, this is, there are a lot of things that, that are, that are triggered by uh, in our words that send us into the non-rational part of our brains. And so part number one, basically is us uh, understanding the dynamics more conceptual, but it's got a lot of practical implications is understand the fundamental of communication. It's not what I'm saying, it's what you're hearing. And I wanna take responsibility for that and get good at knowing the right words to share with my spouse. And the reality is, is if both parties take ownership of that, yes, then the communication will go better. And if those misfires are happening and at least one person in the equation can take a, take a note of it, yeah. that's when you know, hey, time out, let's do something different and regroup in a minute. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the second one uh, is this, the second tool that we want to equip, and it seems just so small, but this might be, for some marriages, the most powerful words mm. that can be said in, in the c- context of conflict, and that's the importance of the words, I'm sorry, mm. and just the words, I'm sorry, not I'm sorry, but you did X, Y, and Z. I'm sorry, but I had a hard day. I'm sorry, but, you know, it's just the words, I'm sorry. And a lot of times those words are extremely difficult for some people to say Mm -hmm. because maybe they never saw it modeled. If you've never seen what it looks like to say I'm sorry, it feels so vulnerable and foreign, which by the way is an important reason why parents should say I'm sorry to their kids. They're actually equipping them to say I'm sorry as adults. Mm-hmm. If kids never see an adult say I'm sorry, they're unconsciously learning a lesson that adults don't say I'm That's sorry. So good. And so I think it, it's important that this is this is a phrase that is heard often in in homes. And that is an important word for for marriages. Sometimes it's because uh, like we said, maybe someone never saw it modeled. Sometimes the issue is just simply a humility issue. And sometimes it's about pride and it's just too vulnerable and too humbling to say, I'm sorry. But here's the, here's what we all know. We all know we are not perfect. We have flaws. By the way, our spouses are not under the delusion that we're perfect. They are well aware of our, our flaws. You didn't have to agree so heartily there. Um, there our spouses are well aware of our flaws. They know them. It's not a mystery that I need to say I'm sorry. Everybody knows it. Yep. And so um, if we can pause and say I'm sorry yep. with no strings attached, um, and even if that is clunky and difficult at first, that is such an important step. And it's a, it's a verbal words that we need to say. But I think there's another one, maybe Rebecca, you could speak to this yeah. a little bit. I think there's another reason that we don't say I'm sorry sometimes, and it has to do with shame. Right. So a lot of times, like you said, we don't, ex- we, we would say we don't expect our spouse to be perfect, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we understand we ourselves are not perfect. And we understand there's a working progress in that. But when we're in that moment, 
where we have to admit we've made a mistake, a lot of times we equate that with then I am a mistake. And that's where that shame comes in. There's something different between I made a mistake versus I am a mistake. And a lot Mm. of times we're fearful of giving and extending that apology because we're afraid that that is going to validate that fear of I am a mistake, that Mm -hmm. shame. And so we have to be able to separate our guilt and our shame. Guilt meaning, yeah, I did make a mistake and it's okay. Mm. And being able to acknowledge that and, and offer or uh, an apology and ask for forgiveness, being able to separate, no, I just made a, a mistake and it's okay versus owning that and, and internalizing that I am the mistake yeah. and not offering apology because we're fearful that it'll validate something that could be one of our greatest fears, right. which is not measuring up as a spouse, as a parent, whatnot. Sure. And I think um, a good cue then for a spouse, if um, you've noticed that your spouse has offered an apology, uh, maybe a very labored but uh, sincere mm. um, apology, that's a good cue that at some point soon, some affirmation mm. and encouragement of who they are and how, how much they're loved needs to follow up because it might be diffusing some of that, some of that shame. Mm. Um, I don't know who first said the, the phrase, I think it was in a novel, but um, the phrase, love means never having to say I'm sorry. That probably came from someone who did not have a very happy marriage. Um, I don't think that is a very good phrase. I don't know who said it, but it is probably one of the worst phrases that is very common <laughs> because love means I'm willing to say I'm sorry. Um, love is cultivated by saying I'm sorry. Love is, love is healed and affirmed and deepened that I have the safety and vulnerability within this relationship to say I'm sorry. Love is willing to serve the other person Mm -hmm. and to serve their need for healing. Love is willing to do all of those things to redeem that relationship with the powerful and humbling words of I'm sorry. So as we're wrapping up this this episode, just two things. Words are so powerful. Mm -hmm. If we could pick one relationship that we are the most intentional with our words, not inauthentically so, but authentically, sincerely intentional with our words. It should be our marriages because they have the power to breathe life into our marriages or breathe brokenness into our marriages. And so two things that we can think of, one is the concept that fundamentally communication is not really what I'm saying, it's what you're hearing. So I wanna get good at knowing how to say things in a way that my spouse can receive well. And that it takes two parties to do that, but as the communicator, whoever's communicating in that moment, you wanna get good at communicating well. And then lastly, it's just simply the power of the words, I'm sorry, with no strings attached. Those are two powerful things if you can breathe those in your marriage. It could start to change the course of your marriage today. We hope that you were impacted by this podcast. If you were and you have a friend you want to share this with, uh, feel free. You can share that. You can also leave us a, a comment or lead us, leave us a, a, a review uh, and subscribe for more episodes. But uh, we hope we see you again here at the City Rev Life podcast. Thank you for joining us on City Rev Life. You can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review wherever you're listening to this. And we love it when you share it with your friends on social media. For more videos and content, go ahead and check us out at cityrev.org slash podcast or download our CityRev Church app. Have a great day.